Overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Welcome to the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now here's your hosts, Jason Garrett and Raghav Sharma. In three, two, one. We are now live with another episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast, the podcast focused on helping you live healthier so that you can do what you want to do. Today, we have with us on the show, uh, Alyssa Lenick, who is currently a third-year PhD student studying exercise physiology, but is also an entrepreneur with her company, Little List Fitness. We have a very interesting conversation with Alyssa about her journey to where she is right now, as well as an evidence-based approach to all things fitness, such as exercising, nutrition, and some myth-busting of very common misconceptions, making sure to discuss differences between men and women. Alyssa has also been an athlete her whole life and dabbled in it all from powerlifting, CrossFit, Olympic lifting, obstacle course racing, and now as crazy as it sounds, ultra marathons. All right, with that intro out of the way, let's get straight into the episode. All right, so with the I know I already introduced you mm-hmm. a little bit, but just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I said, I'm Alyssa Olenek. Um, I have a master's degree in exercise physiology, and I'm currently, yes, a third-year student um, pursuing my PhD in exercise physiology as well. I'm really interested in metabolism and uh, sex differences in metabolism in regards to exercise and just general metabolic health. So I do a lot of feeding people high-fat meals and putting them through exercise protocols and looking at substrate utilization during that. Man, I haven't talked to people in a while. Um, (laughs) So I'm, I'm just really interested in how we can use exercise and nutrition to optimize metabolic health in people. Like That's probably like my biggest... Um, mission in life. And then I'm really mostly focused on through, I do online coaching and training and merging my research interest and exercise interest with that and just getting women to engage in um, like evidence-based exercise and nutrition practices so that they can optimize that themselves. Cause that's more of my niche of what I'm mostly focused on, on a business standpoint. Um, but overall I've just, I've been an athlete and I've loved fitness my entire life. And I joke that like I found fitness and sport first and I fell in love with science by accident. I literally mm-hmm. was a first semester college freshman. I got six tutors cause I was so scared I was going to fail my classes. And then I did well in like biology and I was tutoring my friends about glycolysis by the end of the semester. And I was like, Oh wait, I kind of like science. So mm-hmm. it all kind of fell into place from there. And I was like, like, it was like the whole world opened up because I was like, you can do so much with science, right? And so I kind of just decided to merge the two things that I loved and made the most sense to me and then just kind of really went full throttle 100% at it <laughs> since then. So, so one of the interesting things about kind of, I guess, my thought process with fitness and science, even though it's like, I feel like the, all of us probably, it's so intertwined and we all kind of can have our personal experiences of like, you know, we all find the science and fitness, but kind of to the, I, I feel like a lot of times with general public, it actually goes kind of the other way. It's almost like sometimes getting too sciencey with people turn, turns them away from it a little bit. So how do you kind of walk that line of like, okay, we need, I, I want to stay evidence-based and science with a scientific approach, but also reach the general population who really doesn't care about the TCA. So I said this on a uh, former podcast I did a few months ago, and I say that 
of all the stuff I know, I probably only share and communicate 20% of it. But I need to know that 80% of what I know in order to make sure what I'm telling people or suggesting or talking about is like based off the best evidence that I personally know off what I've read and like researched and studied. But you don't need to bring people into that full 100% or that other 80% because it's just confusing and people are intimidated by science to begin with in a weird way. So a lot of people have that apprehension that they're like, well, I don't understand science. So I don't need to know that. So it's about taking what you know and what you understand and you've you've kind of mastered, I guess, to some degree. And can you take that and turn it into a digestible form that doesn't seem scary for the general public, but is just enough information to kind of convince them that maybe their former line of thinking was not the most optimal or why they thought this about diets or exercise isn't quite true. And that if you take this approach, it's actually like people really like when things are backed on by science, quote unquote, like they love saying that once they Mm -hmm. can buy into it, but it's about making the science not as scary. And I think that if Mm -hmm. I go and explain to my, my gen pop clients, what's going on at a molecular level with their body, they don't really care. They care about how that applies to whole body life level. So you have to take it and understand that people are emotional beings and there's psychological aspects to that. But how can you get them to appreciate what they need to know just enough um, so that they can buy into the science and apply it to their lives, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah. and I think I think that translates also not only to nutrition, metabolism, exercise, and all those things, but like both of us, uh, me and Jason, mm-hmm. medical students. Obviously, medicine is an insanely complex like field. There's just so much going on. There's a reason you have to do four years of medical school and residency. But when it comes down to talking to patients, you have to in a quote unquote dumb it down quite a bit so your patients understand what's going on. So very similar in terms of like the evidence-based background. We have to know so much of that like 80 to 90 to like 99% and you're only communicating one to like 20% of it, however much, wherever you want to put those percentages. Um, and that's kind of the difficult part of knowing where to put that percentage to communicate it to the general populace. Yeah. Because some people might be able to understand a little bit more and they really need that like 20% where some people you can get away with like one to 5% of mm-hmm. communicating. They're like, all right, we're good to go. Yeah. And I'm yeah. very big on, I think that I like to, I like, I do this a lot with my followers, my clients where I want to like remind them like, you're smart enough to understand this. You're not dumb. Like you're capable of understanding this, but let's bring it to a level that it makes sense. And I remember doing this as a tutor in undergrad where my best friend, she had really bad ADHD and she could not pass biology to save her life, but we got her through it. And I would, I made like this ladder factory analogy for her to understand DNA replication and synthesis, but it's like, she understood the science as soon as I gave her something to like hold on to Mm -hmm. that made sense. And I think getting that for people who would like seem to be a little scared from it. Like they're like, well, you can understand 5%. I really believe truly that you can, but let's explain to it in a way that like you, you believe that you can do that and have that skill. So. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things I really believe is that whether it's medicine, fitness, whatever, I think creating that bond with the the patient or client or however you want to describe them is so important in terms of making that bridging that gap of, you know, figuring out how much they know or how to explain things to them in a language that makes sense. And then they can go apply I think so much of that gets lost kind of with kind of more scientific folks where we kind of lose that personable approach where we start to become so engrossed in the science that we lose the fact that the point of doing this is to actually reach out to people. So I think that kind of one of those things that um, we're all kind of learning along the way is how to bridge that gap between the knowledge that we have and also not losing our ability to to bond with an individual to, to kind of share that knowledge. 
Yeah. And it's, I think that's uh, something that isn't, you're not taught how to do that. Right. So I started my Instagram mm-hmm. and my master's and I remember I started doing it because one of my professors, he's like, if you want to get better at talking and writing and communicating science, you got to do it often. And so I was like, well, I can write a caption every day. And so if like people go back and read my former, former early on captions, they were absolutely, they were dumpster fires. They were trash, but over years and years and years of practicing doing that, you get better and no one teaches you in med school or your PhD how to prop they they teach you to be really smart and really knowledgeable. But then mm-hmm. if you aren't a normal, like a naturally social person who kind of has that skill, which a lot of really high level, really smart scientists or in medicine or tech or health or whatever, sometimes they're just so smart that they don't know how to like bring that to people. <laughs> Absolutely. And no one yeah. trains you. And we see that in the in the media and social media and all that stuff all the time is like there's not the proper um, approach to t- like translating research findings or what it actually means or like a general public understanding of it. And so people are just taking their best guess. And then there's all this misinformation where, mm-hmm. I mean, I wish there was more of that. And I'm very fortunate to be self-training myself into doing this, but they don't teach you how to do it. And so it's not anyone's really fault um, that they don't know how. It's just that it's, I feel like sometimes there's too much praise on like doing good science and not enough for like being someone who understands science or medicine or health or whatever it is and being able to communicate that. That's kind of like a like a less respected skill, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And I think and, that's, uh, what, go ahead. I think that's one of the barriers actually to, to reaching people is because I think so much of the misinformation out there is actually spread by people who are very charismatic. So mm-hmm. they naturally draw people in with their personality and their social skills. So people are going to be more prone to believe what they have to say. And then, like you said, on the other end, you have like the science, I guess the science based folks who, you know, are just as interesting as like drywall. So, you know, they they don't draw as many people in and then it shifts more. So people paying attention to the louder, more charismatic people who maybe don't have the right knowledge or aren't saying the right things, but it doesn't matter because they have 8 million followers on Instagram and people really love the way they talk, Mm -hmm. they look, they relate to people. So I think that's one of the challenges we're, we're really faced with in kind of this preventive medicine, fitness, health kind of spectrum for scientists. Yeah. I know, um, We'll probably touch on this misinformation part because I know on your website you talk about um, doing better than what the fitness industry has to offer. Mm -hmm. But I want to make sure we get back to uh, first, you mentioned a lot already about your social media and everything that you're doing Mm -hmm. right now. But was there like a defining moment when you decided you wanted to start doing that? Because a lot of people go into science, they go into like being an athlete in the past, but don't go that route of kind of disseminating that information in a like actual coherent manner that people can like adhere to and actually incorporate. Yeah. So I, like I said, I started my, my, my podcast, my Instagram and my masters. And so I kind of, I was still powerlifting at that time and screwing around with fitness and kind of really just figuring out what I wanted to do with myself in my life. So there wasn't a, like a major direction. I just had the page and I was sharing stuff and like little bits of information, but none of it was coherent. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when I started my PhD, I actually originally started at another program. I was at uh, the university of Vanderbilt and I was going to be a molecular physiologist, but then I left. Cause I was like, I want to do exercise. Like this just isn't for me. And it was kind of in that transition. I really realized what I wanted to do with my life and what I wanted to be. And I was like, no, I want to be an exercise physiology. Like I want to work with humans and do preventative like research that has to do with like hands-on with people, but stuff that I care about. That's like exercise and nutritional practices that are more preventative and like use that to help educate the masses on whatever spectrum or scale that I can on implementing these things now rather than just hiding in a lab pipetting where there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I was like, I really, I love people and I care about them and I want to find a way to bridge that gap between exercise mm-hmm. physiology and the public. And there are some really good name people doing that, but most of the voices in the fitness industry are just louder than that. And so, um, it was literally like I, I left that program and I knew I was restarting my PhD, um, that spring, 
And so I kind of started to take those action steps to doing that. I kind of started to be a little more focused on my Instagram. And then I launched um, my business officially like that next spring. And so that first year of 2018, I was just really trying to figure out more of the direction and the niche of my voice of what I wanted to do. And in being a more engaged with the Instagram community and trying to grow that and seeing that resistance of people to like, see, just trying to figure out how to get science and good information to people in a way that like they wanted to receive it um, was like a lot of trial and error. And so I worked really hard at just like growing my, my message and my page and just getting people to buy into that approach to fitness and health. Mm-hmm. And it really was the beginning of last year, 2019. Um, one of my really good friends on um, my social media friends, Jesse Hoffman, she has a PhD in nutritional sciences. And I remember messaging her or something like New Year's Day like January 19, I was like, 2019 is the year that we are like, we are going hard in Instagram and we're going to take it back and we're going to bring science to the light and we're going to call this crap. And I just kind of like, I, I just sat and played too safe for so long and it wasn't helping and it wasn't growing. I was like, okay, well, whatever, I'm going to get loud, which luckily I'm a someone in science who is getting loud, which yeah. helps my message. But it really was just this moment where I just, I was so sick of everything the fitness industry was and playing safe and being nice and being like, here's some science, everyone, please listen. Like no one wanted to hear that. So I was like, well, I'm going to just start calling this crap out and putting it on blast. And like, but not like specific people, but just like these messages and trends that are just, I think really crappy. And so I just kind of let like let it all like let it let out it like let it loose and I was just I was getting more confident in my knowledge as someone in the field in science like I was in the second yeah. year of my PhD at that point so you know I had three years of upper level education and a lot of experience so I was like okay I feel more comfortable like being able to converse about these topics knowing like I have a little bit of legitimacy to do so and so I was just like we can all do do so much better for people with this and so I just Last year, I pushed and pushed and pushed, and I started doing like swipe posts and more inform, inform, informative, like science heavy posts, but like with little mm-hmm. infographs and like ways that people could digest it and they want to see it. And I made them pretty because like I'm a female and like that's my brand. And it was just really that 2019 mark where I was just like, this is all crap. And we can come together and there's enough really smart people in this field doing good work that are maybe playing safe as well, that it can all mm-hmm. rise up and raise their voices a little bit louder. And if there's enough of us saying the same thing enough over and over and over, like we're slowly going to have to create some sort of change, right? Because eventually mm-hmm. that message is just going to be so overwhelming for the people that kind of mm-hmm. cross share between us that they're going to be like, okay, so maybe my crash diet and like 75 hit workouts a week aren't working. I'll listen to this group of psychos. Like maybe I'll finally like buy into this. And so really it was just last year. It was just like, I was like, that's it. I'm done. Break it loose. Like let's yeah. go. So. so do you feel like it was hard in terms of, so I, I feel like in science, it's so hard to be <laughs> definitive about anything that you say, just because we're almost like it's ingrained in us to be unsure, right? The mm-hmm. question ourselves question what we know and you know hold our opinions relatively lightly because you know literature and data changes all the time and that kind of shifts our opinions with things so was that a barrier for you to start in terms of like okay i want to be louder with this but was there some hesitancy like i don't want to be loud about the wrong things and then next year i'm changing you know changing my opinion or to the outsider it looks like oh well you know she was wrong about this now she's changing opinion versus how like we would see it as like yes she's you're correcting your opinion with the data that you have. So is it, was that something that kind of held you back in terms of going all in on being a louder voice for fitness? Um, 
So I think a little bit at first, I mean, I still feel that way. Like I still, anytime I post anything, if you read my captions, you can see how careful I'm being in almost anything when I'm discussing science or literature. Like I'm almost having like caveat to caveat to caveat to everything we say and do. Because one, everything's so polarizing. I'm not trying to start a war in my comments for things that I'm just trying to converse about. And two, it's the more you go and you're, you're in school and you learn, the more I realize like I'm not an expert on every single one of these niches, but I know enough that I can communicate like this with a gen pop to the degree of which they need to understand it. So there's always more to be known about every single subject. And that's really hard for me because when I post about anything, I'm like, oh, there's probably some extra layer to this that I don't even know exists or I haven't read enough about because you're, you can never read or learn enough about anything and then it changes. So I think for now, I still feel that. But in the beginning, I wasn't confident enough. I think in my just being such a young like PhD student, scientist and researcher, you always have that imposter syndrome and you're not as confident in your skills and your knowledge base to begin with. Um, and I was just playing safe. So you could have, people could see that I think in my captions, so they weren't as catchy and Zam and like mm-hmm. as well written because I was just trying so hard to be like, please just like this. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to step on any toes. So it, it was hard and scary to do that. Um, but I think one of the things that motivated me the most was the fact that like the only voices in the, at least the exercise physiology specific field of industry leaders are men and they're all doing that. You know what I mean? And they're being loud and they're speaking out. There's the Lane mm-hmm. Norton's and like the Alan Argons and the Brad Fields and like, um, all those people and they're in my, in, in the dietitian industry, there's a lot for, more female. So I always say that with a caveat, like I'm just in like, that's, it's not that there aren't a lot of female voices on Instagram, but I was like, well, if they can be loud and change their opinions and share science, mm-hmm. I was like, I can too. Right. So I was just like, okay, well maybe I'm just being scared. Cause I don't want to be like the big loud. B-. Cause that's what you get framed as, I guess. Sorry if I swore on your podcast, but it kind of was just that breaking point for me where I was like, no, like I, I would take topics and things that I was mostly pretty sure that what I was saying was accurate enough that if anyone saw any flaw in it, it would just be like intelligent discourse rather than like mm. putting me like really like putting me on blast mm-hmm. for something. And so I was always really careful about like if I talked about something, it wasn't too far out of my niche that it was like I wasn't sure enough on what I knew that I could confidently put it out there and be like, this is mostly as accurate as I possibly know it to be. Um, so it's like learning that and navigating that within your own self. But it's also had to challenge me as someone in this field who still feels like they're 10 years behind everyone else and they're never going to be that smart to trust in what I do know. Um, so it's kind of been a little bit of that learning curve and lesson, but it did take a lot of like confidence and like, I mean, I'll like research for some of my posts. Like I'll literally do little mini lit review research things just to make sure that like what I'm saying is the most up to date. Cause I just am so I, you get so scared that someone's just going to be like, well, little this is an absolute fraud because she was off on like one number in her post. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's bring her down. So I still feel that way a little bit, but it definitely took a lot of confidence and just, uh, it was kind of scary every time you post anything slightly controversial or anything that's just maybe potentially just a hair out of like a hundred percent of what you know, and just making sure that what you're sharing, at least of that is as accurate as you know it to be. I find it pretty funny that there's such like a dichotomy between people who are trying to be more evidence-based and putting these posts out there that are worried about that, like small little hair of detail being out of line. And on the other side, when there's a fitness industry, they can just post essentially whatever they want, whatever's on their head. And then they don't really care about the outcome. Everyone just buys it up. Mm -hmm. And I guess a follow-up question to that kind of is when you look at more of like the outcomes in a sense Mm -hmm. um, of how people look or their health, um, you kind of see 
to play devil's advocate, similar outcomes with a evidence-based approach versus a um, bro science approach, quote unquote, when you look on Instagram, because you see all these people like tagging, um, like clean eating, blah, 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 doing all these things versus the more evidence-based approach. So what kind of is the difference between going through that evidence-based approach versus the bro science when to the average person, like just like scrolling through the Instagram, the results kind of look the same? Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for people to understand that just because what you're doing isn't necessarily quote unquote supported by science, that doesn't mean it's not explained by science, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's like, people don't get that a lot where they'll, it's like a great example is everyone wants to always fight about keto, right? But science explains keto. It's not that Mm -hmm. like people are like, keto is science-based. I'm like, yeah, of course there is. There's physiological data that we know of like how ketosis works and why Mm -hmm. it works the way it does. Like it's not fake. It's not a fake thing. You know what I mean? Like keto isn't Santa Claus that people are just making up, but there's science that explains why it works the way it it does. But it's the messages in like the bro science, the clean eating is like, there's always some sort of really crappy science that they're all built on, but the messages just aren't there. So I can see why to the common person, it always, it's always easier to be, to digest and understand those bro science messages because they're less scary or they're just more sexy or flashy and it makes sense to people's minds because you're taught since like vegetables, good protein, good, not ever yeah. eating anything sweet ever in your life. Everything's good. black and white. Yeah. Everything's black and white. So when people see those messages, they, they buy into it because they're like, yes, this is right. This is good. But I think what people don't know is that when you see it on Instagram, what you actually see and that after isn't the reality because you don't know what people did to get to that point. And also I'm really big on like, what's the after of the after? Because it's really easy to give someone a clean eating, really restrictive yes. uh, diet and high intensity exercise regime for like eight weeks and post an after picture, but then what happens to that person after? Right. And so I think people just, they want to think about the before after or the, I, I'm going to eat clean, but I'm like, okay, but what about if you have this event or you do like how th- none of those rules teach you how to navigate life as a functioning human, they exactly. just give you rules. And so it's easy to see that and be like, Oh, that works. But did it actually work? Because if yep. it's not lasting, then it didn't work. And I'm so happy you brought that up because one of like the underlying themes kind of that we have in this podcast is not necessarily to like just get healthy right away doing like these eight to 12 week like cookie cutter plans that you might see from some of these uh, bro science things on Instagram. But the thing is kind of to build that sustainable lifestyle. So we're building something that you kind of have a foundation for so you can go out there and do what you want. Mm -hmm. It's not about just becoming healthy just for the sake of being healthy. It's becoming healthy and having a sustainable approach to do that so you can do what you want later on. And I don't think enough people realize and I, I I I hate this and it makes this is like a big burning passion of why I like to do what I do, especially with women, is that I always tell people I'm like, you have a say in what how your health and fitness goes. Like there are some fundamental rules that like I really want to push that I think we should all incorporate. Like you should eat vegetables and you should resistance train to some degree. But besides those little bit of rules where we're like, hey, this is probably what you should do, the rest is like you're you have a say in how it fits into your life and how it fits into like your day and everything like that. I think people think that like, there's just these prepackaged rules that they're only allowed to follow. And I don't think people realize that like the whole part of getting healthy or fit is just that it's a process. It's not like you wake up one day and your life's a 180. It's all about integrating it into your life. That's a way that's like realistic and sustainable and feels achievable and doesn't give you decision fatigue. And no one sells that and gives that to people. They're like, you, mm-hmm. you just, here's yeah. this easy solution. Bam, your life's going to be great yeah. in a month. And then when people fail, they, they think that they're failures and you're like, no, you're not a failure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things like after I got my bachelor's degree in nutrition science um, and I worked kind of in a consultant role for um, some athletes and just everyday people, uh, one of the biggest kind of, I guess, um, challenges was getting people to buy into the idea that 
yeah, all of these diets work. All of these programs work for some reason, right? And, and it's getting them to understand them, I guess, to zoom out from the tree and look at the forest, right? Like, so you're talking about people in general, when they mention keto or whatever diet, it's for weight loss, body recompositioning, that sort of thing. And so it's like they, if you can get them to zoom out, look at, yeah, keto works because it puts someone in a caloric deficit because they are now no longer eating carbohydrates, which previously made up, you know, 75% or probably, you know, 80% of their daily calories because they were eating whatever they wanted mm-hmm. and getting them to kind of backstep and just see the whole thing kind of the way we try to look at it. And there's always that, like for, I guess when you, when you get someone to that point to see it that way, it's so, it, it is so like gratifying that when they grasp that, like, okay, there's these general scientific principles that they understand now, now they can go and kind of be their own guide of like, okay, intermittent fasting, it's working because it's lowering my calories, but I actually do like the fact that I can eat more in the evening now because I'm not eating throughout the day. So getting them to kind of, I guess, take control of their own mm-hmm. uh, fitness destiny, so to speak, using using the appropriate, I guess, criteria or guidelines that we would we would prefer them to use is kind of the, I guess, the uh, ultimate like win for us, right? Like getting them to yeah. see the principles and then apply them in their own and take control for their own well-being. And let's, uh, sorry to jump in. I know you're about to talk, but, no, you're fine. <laughs> uh, um, you could probably correct me on this a little bit, but yeah. to kind of generalize what we're saying so far, it seems that, and based off everything I've seen and what other people's posts is that evidence-based nutrition and exercise kind of provides like a out of bounds or like guidelines, which people can fit their own preferences within to those guidelines using the scientific principles that are like the backbone of these guidelines. Whereas all these different bro science things kind of just give you like one path and one road down to wherever they want you to go. And if you don't get down that one road, you kind of fail. Mm-hmm. Whereas evidence-based medicine, you have so many different roads to choose from and they give you those boundaries. So is that somewhat accurate or is there something you want to add or no. adjust? I, I like to say like, especially with my clients and the programs and like the general nutrition or exercise advice I give people is like, I think that, and I say this a lot about companies that are like multi-level marketing companies or fitness companies that prey on people. And I like want to explain to people like they think you're stupid. They don't think you're smart enough to figure this out on their own. They don't think that you're smart enough to have autonomy in what you do. They think that you're just like, and they just need some money from you because they need, they think you're dumb enough to buy into it. Where like mm-hmm. when it comes to my clients or my followers or even my, like I did a dietary intervention, like just in like undergrads I mentored, just people in general, I like to give them more like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? like more credit than anyone else is giving them. So I like, I like to give structures and templates and general guidelines and rules that are like not hard set, like strict rules, but just general like bumper plates for things like that. But then the rest you can phone with yourself. And a great example of this is I use a uh, templated programs with my, my women and the, that I train, but all, every single one of them has a different goal, a different starting place, a different background, but with the rules and the guidelines and the suggestions built into that, they each get to make it their own thing and they can swap things out or adjust or move things around to how it fits their life, their schedule, their abilities, their skills. And so not one single person in of my 250 women have had the same exact experience because it's made so that they can fit it to their lives and they all find success within just that general guidelines. And that's totally possible. I just think that most of the people that are in the fitness industry are too lazy or they don't know enough on how to structure that for people. And I'm not trying to be mean to other coaches because it's a, it's a skill. And I think being science minded has helped me be able to structure things like that. Um, but if you think if you could only give a one size fits all that is concrete and hard to all those people and you expect them to all fit into your one size fits all, like you you're just setting people up for failure and then putting the blame on them. And that's just unfair. People have, they deserve more credit for what they're capable of doing with their own lives. So 
Yeah, one thing Just I always told clients is that my goal is my goal for them was to at least in, in a in a more specific sense not need me anymore. Like at a certain point, I want you to yeah. learn along the way so that you can kind of do your own thing. Like a coach a coach client relationship, or even in a lot of ways a patient you know a, a patient doctor relationship. Uh, one of the goals should be to build resiliency and autonomy in your population. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you want them to learn and question and and be and grow and not just. Alyssa, what's the answer to this question? Alyssa, what's the answer to this question? You want them to, you know, okay, well, we've learned this, we've talked about this, you know, what what would you do? You know, kind of give them yeah. those cues of like, okay, now start to apply these things that you've learned, take some credit, you do know this stuff, and now start to use it. Yeah, I think, so, oh, go ahead. Go I was going to say, I think that people, if you're listening to this and you're someone who's on the receiving end, like you got, you can trust yourself that you're smarter and more capable than you think that you are. Um, and that eventually, like, you really can have autonomy and take control and know know how to do things yourself with just a little bit of help along the way. So, so I was just going to say, does it always take that little bit of help for those people to kind of understand uh, the general populace to understand those principles and then kind of build that lifestyle for themselves? Because if you look at the general U.S. population, obviously we have skyrocketing rates of obesity, heart disease, and all these things, which are the top killers. That's kind of always what we like to talk about, where everyone knows that they should be doing the specific things, but no one seems to do it for whatever reason. And we know that because obesity is going crazy and everything that I just mentioned. So does it always take someone like a coach to kind of guide them out with these principles or like how can a general person kind of apply all of these things to get healthier? So I definitely think that the general person can figure them out themselves. It's just going to be a lot harder. So I think that having a coach is going to expedite that. So someone having a good, like a really good knowledgeable coach or trainer or RD or whatever it is that you're, you're working with, is going to be able to expedite that process that much more. And so anyone can figure out anything, right? Google's free. I mean, I figured out a lot of stuff on my own. It's, it's, it's possible to figure these things out on your own, but sometimes there's information overload and people just don't know what they're actually supposed to do. So they know what's good and they know what's bad and they know that they should be doing these things. But when it comes to actually doing them, they don't really even know how to implement them, those things, make them easier. They just think it's gritting their teeth and making it really hard and really difficult because that's all that they understand or have been sold their entire lives. Or really they just need help learning how to, I like calling it navigate your environment. So a good coach or trainer or whoever you're working with is going to be able to help you figure out how to navigate those day-to-day life and choices and things that you're doing in your health and fitness so that they're not completely mentally and emotionally exhausting, hogging up all your time, feeling impossible. Because I think that's why most people tend to quit or let up is because they make it um, too hard on themselves or they don't work towards making those decisions like instant easy. I don't know if you guys have read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, but he talks a lot Mm -hmm. about this stuff. And I'm really big on like... um, making things desirable, easy, and you almost mentally effortless and trying to get people to understand that that's the end goal. And it's, you don't wake up one day with a sudden urge to go to the gym at 6am or train X amount of time per week or prep your meals and lunch. It's all about figuring out how to squeeze those things into your life to make them just essentially mindless and passive and easy as brushing your teeth is mm-hmm. every day. Um, but without having someone kind of help give you the guidelines and how to do that or figuring it out enough with with the right and proper resources, it's just really hard. And I think a lot of people get frustrated and give up um, because they just, they don't believe that they can do it because it just seems too impossible and too hard. So I don't think you necessarily need a coach because I know not everyone can afford that, but I do wish that there was, I mean, if I could take over the world, I do wish there, there was more proper public education, health and fitness, um, whether that's in like school-based systems or outreach. Like I, I've talked about this before. Like I would love to be someone who's like an exercise physiologist for the public and go around and give like talks and seminars and like um, 
breaking down this information for people, like tangible things and takeaways that they can do in their lives. Because I think sometimes people just need like, they just need someone to look at them and say, hey, you're making this too hard. Here's three really easy things to do. And sometimes those little easy things just, they, they click for people and you're, they're like, oh, no one's ever said that to me before. So I don't think people mm-hmm. necessarily need a coach. I think they just need someone somehow, regardless of the, the outlet of it, just explain to them in a way that's a little more realistic, easier, and less polarizing how to take those steps within their own life. So if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a specific person who should be doing that? Um, Like for example, everyone at some point should be going to their physician. And I know I will definitely will. Jason likely will um, knowing him, but we'll likely be advising our patients on how to live a healthier lifestyle. I think that's one of the backbones of like anything in life, like creating that base for um, doing what you want to do. Do you think that should be a physician's role or does it kind of not matter who goes uh, to put that step forward for the person. So I think in an ideal world, I would love that there was more actual trained fitness exercise professionals like in hospitals or medical Mm. settings for people to be consulted out to like a doctor, RD, exercise physiologist team, but that's a pipe dream, right? Like that's not going to happen. So the most Mm. contact people are getting are with their doctors. And we know that people put a lot of trust in their doctors. And we see that online, right? Some of the doctors in the social media space aren't always the best, but people like, well, they're a doctor, so I trust them. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And so people really, really, really trust doctors over anything, even like in your field, but they don't realize that not every single physician is really well-trained in exercise really at all, but they get like, a little bit of nutrition, unless I'm assuming you get, you can get specialized training in other areas. But for the most part, it's not like you're as heavily trained in these areas as like someone getting their PhD in exercise physiology or someone like getting an RD or things like that. Like there's certain niche professionals to begin with, but I do wish that, um, there was more of a, like, I guess people like to call it holistic way of approaching that, but people are going to go to their doctors and that's where they're going to be getting most of that education from. So, I'm okay with doctors giving that information. I mean, doctor, you have med school's very hard. You have to be very smart to be able to do that. But I, I do wish that there was some degree of more formal checks and balances of like the proper things. And like, there's people who are like, I'm a keto doctor or I'm a fasting doctor. And like, you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't buy into one specific thing. It should be person to person, patient to patient. And I know there's a lot of drama with people saying that like doctors automatically give diet and fitness advice that's unhealthy or extreme or just like unemotional. So I think just finding ways to get it so that's being um, packaged up to the patient in a way that is less like, oh, you're fat, you're bad, like see you in a couple months and you lose weight or here's a diet pamphlet, you know what I mean? But like a little Mm -hmm. more, I don't want to say evidence-based, but like using the evidence with emotion to package it up to people in a way that they don't feel like they're being attacked by doctors that aren't aren't so great. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's obviously going to be doctors that are really great about that. So there's, I mean, with any field, there's good and bad. So I I think that doctors are going to be the one doing that regardless of what we wish was going on Mm -hmm. in the medical system. It's just getting it to make sure that they're giving kind of a more uniform message, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of, sorry, Jason, once again, (laughs) it's, it's, it's a lot harder doing this virtual not knowing once I want to speak and then you just kind of jump in. That's all right. But, uh, you mentioned that like dichotomy between you have doctors who aren't necessarily completely trained in something like exercise or nutrition versus PhD, someone who specializes in it. But you also mentioned that doctors are the people who are going to be seeing their patients more regularly. Um, so kind of on a personal note, why didn't you decide to go the physician route versus doing your PhD? Yeah. So I, when I was an undergrad, I went through a weird phase. So I went an undergrad, like wanting to be like an elite Nike personal trainer. And so I was in health sciences because I was in this weird, I should have been like an exercise. There was like an exercise and sport major that wasn't a sciencey, but I was like, no, I want to like go to the heart of track. And so when I got into those classes and was doing well in science, I did have this phase where I was like, oh, okay, like 
I could become like a nurse or a pharmacist or a DPT or a chiropractor at one point, like just that was like the options or a mm-hmm. PA or like nurse practitioner, whatever these jobs are that in medical science. But um, for me, I did a couple um, internships and like hands-on things and exercise and passive rehabilitation centers and things like that. And I just, I just don't love, I like that there's some patients that make it really worth it and they were really great and I really love them, but I don't like the day-to-day routine of working with like a hands-on, um, and like that type of care. So if I was like a DPT or a PA or a doctor, I just didn't love that. I don't want to say it's mundane because it's definitely like it's needed and it's important work. But for me, it just, it wasn't a good fit for my personality. And so I really, really like, I love to learn. I love to ask questions. I love to teach. I love to mentor. So doing the academic route just made a little bit more sense to me because I just, I kind of fell into research by accident, but it just kind of clicked with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And my personality and the way academia and science works is it's kind of always oscillating across the year. Like you have really high amounts of work and then it goes down and then like it, it, it fits more with the ebb and flow of how I just work as a person. And I really wanted to be on that preventative side of things, which I know you can be when you're in medicine or health, but I wanted to be more on educating, um, and translating and that kind of stuff. And I realized that luckily enough early on that I just, I just knew I didn't want to go to like a DPT program, which is probably what I would have done is like physical therapy would probably been where I would have been pushed towards or shoved down that, um, route just cause that's an easy go-to for anyone with an exercise or health mm-hmm. science undergrad degree. But when I was in those hands-on clinical settings, I just, I wasn't like, I, I, I liked it. I liked what I did and it was fine, but it just wasn't like I wasn't pumped up every single day to do that. It just wasn't that great of a fit. So, um, I identified, cause I think patients deserve people that want to really be there and do that every day. For and sure. I, I identified that early on. I was like, okay, like for me, this isn't the best fit for me. I'm going to go, um, and then, but when I was in research, I loved working with like participants, you know what I mean? Like that, I, I get really excited. I love doing that. So it's like, that was easy for me to say, oh, okay, this makes me excited. This brings me joy. This, I like to do this. Okay. I would do it. And I'd be content and happy, but I wouldn't have that same zest for it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And I think that's one of the things like, unfortunately the current paradigm in medicine is, is very much, um, kind of treat the disease instead of prevent the disease. And that's, you know, hopefully something that we're working to change. Not, I mean, not just talking about, uh, Raghav and myself, but then I guess the newer generations of scientists and doctors, uh, or physicians, I should say. Um, and I think one of the things that needs to happen to accomplish that goal is we need to have more of a network or, or a, um, a communication between the academic and I guess the academic fitness professionals the people on the front lines in gyms and that sort of thing and physicians. I think there needs to be more of a teamwork atmosphere um, because you may need someone who is, you know, a, a physician may spend 15 out of a 20 minute visit with the patient readjusting medications that are life-saving medications that they don't have time to make that, you know, 20 minute discussion about how they need to alter their diet or their lifestyle where then instead of, you know, forcing that all in one person, there can be more of, okay, I can refer you out to this person for this and this person for this. Um, obviously, there's a there's a lot of steps between now and then, but hopefully, we're we're getting closer and closer to kind of a more integrated healthcare system where we can all kind of play our roles together versus kind of butting heads with each other, which is kind of where it seems to be like right now. Is well, a doctor will say, a physician will say something, and then PhD, you know, you, you have like kind of like you see it on Twitter a lot, right? Like a typical uh, discussion oh, yeah. between uh, Lane Norton and like an MD, right? Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, so they go back and forth. Some some carnivore doctor, right? And Lane's like, no, you're way out of your lane here. 
no pun intended, like, <laughs> like let me, you know, like, it, it, and so I think instead of like, instead of having those sort of conversations, more of like, okay, I understand like for physicians who don't have a background in nutrition or exercise, let me reach out to the people who do or steer you towards these people who consistently put out this good information. I can tell you, you know, this and this and this, but these people really, really know this stuff. So let me send you their way. Like, yeah. but and I think there yet. In medicine, they always talk about like a multi-pronged approach or like a team-based approach to patient care. But when you actually like one, we're on a rotation and we're seeing how this goes. A lot of times that that team kind of just ends up being the nurses and physicians and maybe a physical therapy stone. And it's just like at the end of the note, see physical therapy. And then the other whole side of like the academia and the, uh, Jason, I love how you mentioned the frontline people like in the gyms, that's completely out of the picture. Mm -hmm. When if you get someone that actually knows what they're talking about in health and fitness and getting their nutrition right, getting their exercise right, getting them referred to a proper personal trainer and exercise physiologist that knows what they're doing, then a lot of the other time could be saved on what a physician's doing. So I think incorporating that multi-pronged approach through uh, incorporating academia and like frontline medicine is a lot more important. And that's where Alyssa comes in, <laughs> what she's doing. Yeah, I said, so I think that it's unfair that we expect doctors to be experts at all these things because you guys, I mean, you go through all the specialized training and you get trained to be these like hyper-specialized focused people, which is how research works too, right? Like you really niche down in one area because you want people to be really, really smart at the one thing that they're mm-hmm. at that saves lives or that discovers things in science that we need that then translates into that hopefully down the line and saving lives or whatever it is that you're doing. So I think it's unfair to expect that of every single medical provider. Like it makes more sense to say, hey, I'm really good at this one thing, but this other person is probably better at this other thing. So let's refer out to them. And I think it would be amazing and helpful too, especially if we could identify really good trainers, coaches, and gyms, because we all know that the front lines of some personal oh, of course. are almost just as bad as some of the doctors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what they're talking oh, yeah. about. But actually referring people to people that are genuinely going to help them and give them yeah. a good reference for that, not just sending them saying, Oh, we'll go to your local plan of fitness and just whatever Joe Schmo that like just decided to be a personal trainer last week, like is going to yeah. tell you to do, but actually saying like, Hey, insert. yeah, here's yeah. a list of like reputable gyms, coaches, whatever in the area that can actually take you in. Cause then, you know, like if you go into some of these really high end, really well established, either CrossFit gyms or functional training gyms or personal run gyms, you get some people that are incredibly smart, incredibly knowledgeable. They have degrees or certs or years of experience. They're going to take people and give them like an hour consultation that mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to get that from just their doctor themselves as themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, yeah. yeah, I think that would be an incredible, incredible, or even if it was just referring people out to people that are exercise physiologists that specialize in things and giving them like a virtual consult on like, Hey, this is actually like, how I would approach your health, fitness, nutrition, like here's a tangible takeaway and like list of things that you can actually do um, that would is evidence-based to improve your health or your condition or like, especially someone like me who works with metabolism and like I'm interested in metabolic diseases and preventing that. Like by the time I graduate with my degree, I could give safe exercise prescription for people who are trying to actually like try to work with their type 2 diabetes or things like that. Like that's what I should be specialized and trained mm-hmm. to do. And that would just enhance and benefit everything the doctor does with the medication and like all those like important things that you need to do in that such short period of time. So, and I want to highlight for whoever's listening to this, that a lot of what we're doing um, in this discussion is kind of focusing on more of that preventive side, because that is the title of this podcast, preventive medicine podcast. Um, So using this multi-pronged approach for prevention is super important because um, then it kind of saves physicians that work later on 
And it kind of helps patients a lot more because then they don't have to deal with that physical condition of whatever happens. Sure, it's great when someone does develop diabetes that you can manage them with medication with a doctor and then an exercise physiologist like Alyssa could help them out with a exercise prescription for their specific scenario. But the ideal case would be to get everyone together to create a system that prevents that situation from happening altogether. So as a follow-up question to that, I know preventive medicine means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does that mean to you, Alyssa? So for me, it means, gosh, I don't know how to word this proper way, but I, I feel like it's giving the education and empowerment and power back to the people to take control of their health so they don't get to that point where they're you know, in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and they're like, oh, crap, I, I'm pre-diabetic or I have type 2 diabetes or I have this like elevated cholesterol or I'm on the verge of a heart attack. I don't know what to do, but it's getting people um, when they're younger and able to kind of just get them into that system and teaching them, especially like if we could do some sort of educated approach, maybe even at the elementary, high school level, college level to some degree, um, and getting people to buy in on that lifelong fitness and looking at fitness as longevity. So I'm totally not against people having like body recomposition goals or specific fitness goals or anything like that. But for that other 95% of the population who isn't like me and Jason who are psychos and want to do these extreme things. <laughs> yes, like, absolute psycho. Yeah, like not everyone has to, to buy into fitness like that, but getting people to buy into fitness as something that only, because people only look at it as a way to change their bodies and that's it, but not mm-hmm. looking at like, oh, okay, well I can work on my muscle tissue and bone density and like metabolic health and cardiovascular health across my lifespan. So you're building up that right. resiliency against life, essentially against mm-hmm. aging. Yeah. And no yeah. one talks about that side of fitness ever. No one gets people to buy and oh. improving their health. It's just, how do you get thinner? How do you body recomp? Those goals are fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's exactly what we're trying to highlight. Yeah. But I care. Like when I, when I work with women, I'm like, I care about your bone density. Like the thinking about yeah. women's oh, yeah. bone density oh, and yeah. metabolic health keeps me up at night. Like I care about that. Yeah. Like I care about if you could handle the lipid overfeeding that I'm giving you. Like I give women dexes yeah. and I see their bone density and their muscle tissue mass. And I'm like, no, please let yeah. me save yeah. you. Like, <laughs> let me bring you to the, cause I'm like, yeah. I genuinely care about people's ability to fall when they're in their seventies and not break their yeah. hip. And then like have like that downward spiral that we see. And oh, that's yeah. what I think about, but no one talks about that cause it's scary. And no one really wants to think about that. They, everyone thinks they're invincible, but that's what I think the conversation mm-hmm. we need to be having is talking like I'm approaching 30, I'm going to be 27 this year, but I'm going to be in my thirties and I'm going to start losing muscle and metabolism and all these things. But I know how to combat that luckily, but most mm-hmm. people don't and they just stop moving, but they're young enough in their forties, fifties, like whatever, to be like able to not notice that lack of resiliency. And then boom, they're there in their sixties and seventies and they don't even know. And then yep. they're sick and then they're in the doctor's and downward spiral. Yeah. And I watched it with my own grandparents and I love them dearly, but it was really sad. Their health was horrific just because obviously the older generations don't know what we know now and they went through their own hardships. I'm not saying my grandparents are bad people because they had heart attacks and diabetes, but like if they had known to not sit around all day and to be more mobile, like just even walking more in their days and being active, just not sitting is so powerful, but people just, I don't think they realize that how much they can actually change their, their health across their life by just doing a lot less than they think they need to do. And I think one of the things that I, I think you just hit it the nail on the head is that so many times when people look at, you know, you go on Instagram or social media or TV or wherever else, and fitness always seems extreme, right? We, if someone hears resistance training, they picture someone trying to squat a thousand pounds or, you know, they or think like about an Olympia competitor. <laughs> yeah. 
or like you're thinking about like, well, I don't want to be a bodybuilder. I don't want to, I don't, people, most people don't have this desire to be extreme. Like you said, right? Like they don't want to, most people don't want to run a hundred miles. They don't want to squat a thousand pounds. They don't want to get to 5% body fat. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately the way social media is set up is that it's really hard to find that like, yeah, it's okay to just want to be healthy and like, let's find like, yeah, if you want to train with machines and not do barbell back squats, perfectly fine. We can resistance train multiple ways. You know, you don't, like, we want to work on your cardiovascular fitness, but you don't want to run a marathon. Perfectly fine. Here we can do, you can do a mile run or a walk or do whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, I think there's so little advertising or, or I guess, um, even motivation to find those middle of the road things because it's, because they're just not out there. And just adding on to that, when you mention all those extremes, like the people running ultra marathons, like you psychos over there or the <laughs> Olympia competitors, they, it's also not just that like end goal of seeing that extreme, but it's also on social media, you see the extreme path to get there where it's like either an on or an off switch where either you're working out every single day a week, eating high protein and becoming a bodybuilder, or you are doing nothing and sitting on the couch. People don't realize that there's like a middle ground and not yeah. even necessarily a middle ground, but there's kind of what I like to go uh, for is like the ramp up approach where mm -hmm. if you're not walking and you're like doing nothing, you don't have to start going to the gym seven days a week. All you have to do next week is just start walking and it doesn't even have to be like walking for an hour a day. You can start walking five minutes a day and maybe the next week, 10 minutes a day. And it's a lot better than what you were already doing. And that isn't like possible, I think, to glamorize on Instagram. Like you're never going to see someone post a caption like, I walked five minutes today. I'm getting super healthy. Because yeah. then when they scroll to the next post, there's someone who's like shredded, has a 10 pack somehow. Don't even know if that's possible. Yeah. I photoshopped it. <laughs> but then they're like, yeah, this is what I want. And screw this guy walking five minutes. That's not going to get me anything. So I think that's one of the biggest problems that we see in terms of preventive medicine, where it's kind of getting people to like take that first step and not use that off uh, and on approach. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think it's just people, they want, I think people want those things, right? And they just see that endpoint and where they're at and that mm -hmm. everything in between feels so overwhelming and scary and impossible, but they don't realize that instead of taking like the elevator, they can take the stairs. Like you can take yeah. it one step at a time the whole way through. And I, I see this with clients where I have, a, I have a lot of women. And so I'm my big thing. And Jason knows this is it's like lifting and running combined. And everyone's like, you can't do both. It's going to kill your gains. I'm like, most gen pop runners are not trying to be these elite marathoners. They yeah. need resistance training for health. Like you're telling gen pop exactly. lifters that they don't need cardio and gen pop runners that they don't need lifting. And you're just killing people by doing that. Not literally killing people, but like yeah. you're not promoting anyone's health. It's so stupid. Like, of course, if you're going to be really high niched extreme, you're going to be sacrificing things at one end or the other. But the women in my group, that I coach and things like that, they're, they're, they're these, these lifelong runners who they didn't know that they can resistance train and then they're getting stronger and more fit and they're literally improving their health by doing so, but we're not mm -hmm. giving it to them. Like I'm not taking them to the gym and throwing them in overnight and they'll message me when they first start their programs. They're like, this should be harder. Why is this not beating me up? This mm -hmm. should be like, they literally think it should be harder. I'm like, no, literally yeah. this is it. Like we're going to build you up to this. It's supposed to be gradual like this. And the same thing with cardio. I have a, I had a woman in my group who her son got her to go on like a little small jog thing while they were playing. And she was like, maybe I can be a runner. I didn't really think I can. She goes, I can't really run a mile. And I was like, can you, can you walk a mile right now? Cause you can start. Cause I have a run walk, like 5k program that takes people from walking mm -hmm. to three miles over 12 weeks, which is a really long period of time. It's very gradual. It's like, you can do that program and it's run walk. Like, and you, all you have to be able to do at first is walk. I was like, so you can, you can do that. Like mm -hmm. that is possible for you. But people just think that they're only allowed to 
go out and you have to be able to run the marathon tomorrow or you can't, you can't run at all. And it's, yeah. it's not true. You can just take, like I said, you can take the steps. You can take it one step at a time. And sometimes if you need to hang out at one step for a little bit longer until you get more comfortable, like that's okay, but you're still doing more at the fourth step up than you were at the ground floor. Exactly. I always like to say that anything regarding health is kind of a marathon. We're not just trying to get healthy for tomorrow or for next week or for next year. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a 50 to 60, 70 year approach based on however long you live, obviously. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of just taking that stepwise approach to that time. So even if you start walking for one week this week and you don't do anything the next week, you still walked and you still have like 60 years to continue developing your habits and whatever routine you want. So yeah. it's not necessarily about just like, as you mentioned, starting to run that marathon tomorrow, but maybe in even 10 years, that's completely okay. If it takes you 10 years to start running a marathon, because it's more than likely better than what you were doing at the beginning. And yeah. that kind of running the marathon, maybe a starting point to continue on for the next 10, 20 or 30 years or, or however long. Yeah. hundred percent. I think one of the things too, I think all of us kind of sharing this, this kind of sense is that we've all kind of dabbled in different areas of fitness, right? Like I've competed in Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, marathon, CrossFit, um, now ultra marathon. It, it's like, and I know Raga, you did bodybuilding for a while and you found powerlifting and literally you've done like did similar to me, you've done pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah. <right>? So, <laughs> I just said two and, things. You listed six. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Done everything. <laughs> but I think one of the, one of the interesting things is that I think once you start people off with something, they'll naturally gravitate towards what they enjoy, right? You like, if you present them all mm -hmm. these options they can do and not force them into this one box, they'll kind of, maybe they'll do a little resistance training and then they'll find, like, wow, I really, can I, can I do a clean and jerk? Can I do a snatch? Can I try that? Or I want to try that. I saw someone back squatting. Can I do that? Or like, Hey, I really, I saw this fun run. Can I, you know, let me, let me try this. And then they'll naturally gravitate and kind of oscillate back and forth between trying different things. That's really kind of what we want to get people into. Not necessarily, you know, not everyone is going to find like their one, like this one thing that absolutely, I love ultra. I love only doing powerlifting. I love only doing bodybuilding. So like, I guess presenting all these things as, yeah, they can all coexist together in a lot of different ways is in reality, 99% of the people we'll ever work with ourselves included are never going to be elite athletes. Yeah. So like, it's okay to have fun. And I think posing fitness as something that can be fun and not a punishment or not an extreme is something that, uh, is something we need to start doing a better job of. And like, I think personally myself, I do a pretty bad job of it. Of kind of, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, living out that, that lifestyle because I do just enjoy kind of pushing these to extreme, but, uh, you know, the vast majority of our clients, patients, whatever, aren't going to enjoy pushing themselves to the point of like painful mm -hmm. exercise. Like that's not something people like to do. So no. not forcing that on them is something I think, that we need to, as like as a whole industry, can do a better job of, of kind of putting it. It doesn't have to be extreme or painful. It can be just happy and normal. You know? I, I think that the biggest thing is the fitness industry. And I, I say this in like one of my many slogans is like, it's better than what you've been sold or you've only been sold one version of fitness. And people think like men or women, they each are sold their own individual version of that. But they think like, that's it. That's all I get to choose. Like pick your player. There's only one option. You're their cardio bunny or you're a Gymshark booty band girl. Like you know, all you get to be, or you're like, you're a beefcake heavy weightlifter or you're bodybuilding. Like that's all you get. That's all you get to be. You're either the, the gym bro that's all into building muscle or you're like the super like smash a stack of pancakes, lift heavy dude. But those are like the only two versions that you're sold as like men and women in this industry. Like the fitness industry specifically, obviously there's other niches yeah. where like marathon runners are like their own breed of things. But like people don't realize that they can do all these other things and they can have fun with it and they can kind of make what they want out of it. And I'm seeing that more. And I, I love 
selling that to people and showing them that because they're like, wait, I didn't know this was an option. I'm like, yeah, because no one ever told you that you're allowed to just do whatever you want and have fun with your fitness and your life and your body. Like we're all going to die eventually. Right. So you might as well move your body. Like I, and I, I say all the time, like resistance train a little bit, please. Like I beg people, I'm like, please resistance train at least a little bit, but beyond like that two days a week of at least full Mm -hmm. body, it's like the minimum that you should be doing. As long as you're overloading it, like the rest, you can literally hula hoop for six hours a week. I don't really yeah. care. Like, do it. Just move your body how you want. Yeah, I think it's the part. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, th- I was just going to say, I think the part that's missing from a lot of fitness and preventive medicine type stuff is the individual. Like everyone's trying to sell them something and then that person forgets that they have their own unique desires, their own unique things that they prefer, that they like doing, things that fit better with their lifestyle. And they kind of morph their life into something that someone has sold them. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, they forget that they have their own unique interest. I can go run. Oh, don't like running. I'm going to go lift. Oh, don't like lifting. I'm just going to go do something else right here. Like I'm going to go do obstacle course races which might be like a combination of running and maybe a little bit lifting somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing there is kind of determining what you find important to yourself and then building it for yourself. Because like I said earlier in this podcast, it isn't about just becoming healthy. It's being like healthy as a baseline so that you can do what you love which you can incorporate in the terms of exercise as well. I think fitness, I don't think people realize because I think they only use fitness, like I said earlier, is like a, a, a way to change their body because that's all they think that they can do. But they don't realize that like fitness gives you freedom. Like people are like, yes. like the reason I can do, and like the reason me and Jason can just start running ultra marathons out of thin air is because we, we're just fit people. We spend our whole lives training and exercising and staying fit and healthy and strong and resilient. And so when we want to mm. say, screw it, let's go do this thing. Now, I mean, not everyone can do that, but like I think a lot of people don't really realize that if you build that resiliency, you can just go have fun and you can just go rock climbing with your friends one weekend and enjoy it. Or you can go on that big hiking trip that you didn't really know that you could hike that much in a day, but you just have this, this fit resiliency. And then you can experience life more by not looking at it as only that one way of looking at fitness. But like, it's not only a way to buy more health and longevity for yourself across your lifespan, but it's able, you can buy a lot of experience by being physically more capable as a person. For sure. And to, to kind of piggyback on what you said, it's like one of those things like we're talking about the dose response curve of exercise. It doesn't take that much to really give someone a lot of benefit. right? Mm-hmm. Like two days of resistance training. I forgot what the specific guidelines were. I think it's like 75 minutes of moderate to intense cardiovascular and two resistance training sessions a week or 150 yep. minutes of low intensity plus two resistance. Yeah. Like, that could be 150 minutes of taking your grandkids for a walk or walking your dog or resistance training could be like it could be leg press, it could be, it, or it could be back squats, or it could be bench press. You know, it's like one of those things that like we don't, they don't need, like Rogan said earlier, they don't need to go and do a seven-day bodybuilding split or start, you know, training for the next local powerlifting meet or ride their power or ride their Peloton for six hours straight. You know what I mean? It's like one of those <laughs> like you did a couple of like, two days ago. <laughs> like, but I think it's, it's good that the extreme, those of us that are extreme in this field are the ones that are like leading it. Like I, I talk about that time yeah. and I'm like, you don't have to do what I do, but like, well, aren't you glad that I'm the one doing it? Because like, that's like, then we can dose you down from where, where we're at yeah. at this extreme yeah. end. Like we can dose you down from that. Yeah. Right. And I think it's important that the people doing the extreme thing sometimes are very clear, like, hey, this is a personal, this is all personal for me. This is not something you need to be doing to maintain your health or to, to have longevity. And like we were talking about earlier, like for most people, health is being able to go to Disney World and not falling down and breaking hip or like yeah. being able to travel still, being able to, you know, being you able know, to hang out with grandchildren and run exactly. around with them when you're 70 or 80 years old. Yeah. Like most people do not care about having a six pack or whatever, but that's what gets sold to them is, well, you're not fit unless 
you know, you look, you look this way or you can do, or you can express your body weight or whatever. That's just not the case. No. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, you mentioned earlier a lot about uh, your work that you do with uh, different women. And I was mm-hmm. reading on your website that a lot of what you do is kind of tailored more towards females. Yeah. So as a follow-up question to that, is there kind of a bigger obstacle or something unique that women would face to reaching preventive lifestyle versus uh, me or Jason or any other man would? So I think with women, like they're obviously like, I, I kind of tend to lean into that like women are not small men thing, where mm-hmm. physiologically we have a lot of similarities. But there are some differences is when it comes to like uh, prevalence in certain disease states. And so women are prevented from a lot of that stuff until they reach menopause because of the estrogen available in our bodies. Like we tend to not have the onset of like cardiovascular disease, metabolic yep. syndrome, things like that until that postmenopausal state. But then everything just becomes this big metabolic like shit storm, right? Because yep. everything just goes haywire. Um, but a lot of what prevents that or treats that is like what we want women to be doing earlier on in life. And so if they we can get women to resistance train and build strong, resilient, muscular bodies while they're younger, then their bone density and muscle metabolic health isn't as quite at risk when, you know, they're all their hormones plummet. So there's mm-hmm. that big difference that when I work with women, I push resistance training so much with women just because even if they want to run and run marathons, one, it makes you more resilient and less injury prone as a runner. But two, I'm like, I know that these are big goals that you have, but eventually someday you're going to stop running marathons and you're going to want your bones and your muscles and like all those things to still be strong. So I push that a lot, a lot, a lot with women, especially if they, um, they grow up. So this is where the bigger obstacle is, is just the messages on exercise prescription that is sold to women, especially since they're younger. So I started resistance training when I was 16 and that's unheard of, right? Like most girls aren't in the grungy basement gym of their high school lifting at 15, 16 years old, right? They're They're told they need to lift the pink dumbbells for 20,000 reps. Not even hop on the treadmill. And so they miss Mm -hmm. a lot of that, like really good quality time in their life in their late teens through their twenties to like Mm -hmm. build muscle and enhance their bone density. But getting them to understand that when they hit their thirties and forties and fifties, it's not too late. And then for, for me, the hardest thing, obviously men and women each receive their own very different messages that are not the best. But what I try to work with, with women is just how they're told that they need to use fitness and their relationship with fitness. Cause a lot of them for years use it as a way to starve themselves, shrink themselves. Uh, they mm-hmm. abuse exercise. They use it as only a means to an end of shrinking their body and getting them to buy into being well-fed and training with intention and like recognizing that they can train like men, I guess, even though they're women, so they can lift heavy and they can train Mm -hmm. well and they can fuel themselves well. And like getting them to shift that mindset is super duper hard. And so like, I genuinely care about those, those physiological differences with them, but getting them to understand like how their menstrual cycles work with them and why they feel certain ways each week and like how to use that to optimize their training so that they can like not feel like trash or that maybe they should eat some extra carbs in these certain days so that they can enhance Mm -hmm. their performance and just getting them to women just don't know that much about their bodies, even though they're obsessed with their bodies. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, it's really sad. Um, But no one tells them all these things. They just say, go do a bunch of cardio and like build your butt up and that's all you do. Ta-da, then Mm -hmm. you die. Like, and it's just getting them to understand the importance of these things. And I, I really feel like my experience is if you can just get them to buy in long enough to finally start to get like that first back squat PR or like that new skill that they did, or like for the first time in their lives, they experience themselves doing something cool and badass that they thought was scary and they show they can do it. Then like you get them in for life and then it's a no brainer. And then it's easy to get them to carry that. You just got to get them to buy in long enough and get them to appreciate that they're making their bodies more resilient so that then when they are 
moms and grandmas, they're, they're able to carry their babies for longer because even though they're heavier and they're more resilient and they can chase their kids and keep up with them. And then when their kids have kids, they're not falling and breaking hips or bones or immobile. So, but women are so blindsided and so focused their entire life of how do I use this to shape my body that it's just getting them to view it as anything else. And then from there we can talk about, okay, well, this is why it's so important for your health. Yeah, I think uh, tying back in that fitness industry message that kind of used to be more of um, females shouldn't do any sort of resistance training. They should like go on the treadmills, maybe do some super light weights. And if you do do any weights, kind of do try to build that butt as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, that's now changing as mm-hmm. there's a lot more females that have started powerlifting or just lifting mm-hmm. in general. And it's kind of become even the cool thing to do, which is fantastic. Um, but a lot of people also don't realize that that resistance training doesn't necessarily even need to be to shape their body or Mm-mm. to power lift, but it, there's so many benefits. Like for example, you mentioned in childbirth for in the future, when their hormones do go down after menopause, there's just so many different benefits that for some reason, females don't necessarily realize outside of like shaping their bodies. That's kind of mm-hmm. sad. And that's something that you were doing a great job educating people with. And I think we need a lot more of that message out there. Well, thank you. And I, and I think with the latest, the latest data showing somewhere between like, I think it was like 85 and 95% of people with eating disorders or at least seen or treated for eating disorders are female. I think it's very important to have female leadership in the fitness community, you know, kind of helping women get to that point where they're no longer exercising to train themselves. They're exercising to accomplish things or developing a healthier relationship with self, developing a healthier relationship with food, with exercise in terms of framing it in a way that, this is not to please anybody else. This is not to be a smaller individual. This is to be the most version of yourself, be the best, be the biggest, best version of yourself you can. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, like you said, I think right now we're, we're still in that weird uh, kind of in-between zone of like, there's still, there's a lot of women who understand like, Hey, heavy resistance training is good, but there's still the vast majority, I think, who would be so scared to lift for sets of six to eight or something like that because they're like, well, I'm just going to turn into a dude then automatically, right? <laughs> like, and I think getting getting that right information out there to to the masses of like not only just women directly, but to coaches, to trainers, to doctors. Because what happens when you know someone goes to their doctor and she asks, "Hey, I want to lift heavy," and the doctor's like, "Oh, I wouldn't do," you know, then you mm-hmm. just hit this huge barrier, this huge wall, right? So, um, I think kind of all coming together. Uh, to kind of accomplish that task is something that it, we're starting to accomplish, but definitely need more leaders in the field, such as yourself, to kind of push that that agenda. Yeah, because once you exit our little bubble, you realize um, how many women are still so scared of that. And I see, I get, mm-hmm. I'm get, i getting the mixed clients still, and they just, I, I don't know why they chose me, you know what I mean, to finally be like, okay, I'm going to do it. But I just feel like I'm like the Mother Teresa Fitzbo, like, washed up clients and multi-level marketing victims. And I'm like, come to me, like, let me save you and show you the light and show you how you can train and feel and move in your body. That is just not that same thing over and over and over again. And it's, I think women are getting sick of it, but there's still a lot of them that are scared and misinformed. And like, it's just, just, you know, you have to just keep pushing that message enough. And like, I just yell at a lot. Um, and I think a lot of people think it's hypocritical that with like obesity rates being so high that I talk about women eating more all the time. And I'm like, regardless of women's body sizes, they're restricting to some degree or trying to restrict oh, or yeah. yo-yo dieting or crash dieting. I'm like, so even if that I can say that's important and we should care about and push towards that, but the solution for that isn't telling those women to eat less. It's teaching them actually how to fuel themselves regardless of their shape and the size of their body and that mm-hmm. they need more than like a thousand calories a day. And like, they have to stop that cycle. It's like, it doesn't matter 
um, where they're at in their fitness journey, they still need to eat appropriately and fuel themselves appropriately because then it makes all those other goals in long-term health better. If they're not fueling appropriately, regardless of like what you think about um, body weight or body fat percentage or any of that stuff, like they're still going to have metabolic risks down the line, um, irregardless. So. So kind of just to kind of piggyback off that question, I know you do specialize kind of or kind of your niche is more towards training women, but it's actually kind of funny because I sought you out to train me for my marathon. <laughs> yes. Um, I think one of the Not things- Not just any marathon, ultra marathon. Both. Well, it, started out, it actually <laughs> it started, started out, out. Just a, it started out as a regular marathon. Uh-huh, and now right. it, just, it just keeps getting, the distance just keeps going further and further. Eventually, I'm just going to- For anyone, their, their next race is 100 kilometers for anyone who's listening to this. So <laughs> not me, them. Yeah, which is, I think included in that is like 32,000 feet of elevation change. So Absolutely we're literally going to be, you know, not a big deal. Not, you know, a, not big a big deal. deal. I'm not terrified. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but no, I think one of the things that I guess a question I had in, uh, kind of off of that is, do you think it's hard? Do you think it's a struggle for you trying to, yeah, like this is what you specialize in, but you also, it's not like you're limited to only training women. You find yeah. that being an issue of like people not reaching out to you. It's like, oh, this is the, she's the you know, she trains women. I can't go to her for, you know, marathon or lifting advice. What do you, how do you kind of combat that? So the reason I niched in with women is one, it was just the people responding to my message. And if you, and this isn't meant to like, if you're a dude listening to this, this isn't me trying to like belittle you, but the only men to come to me for exercise or fitness advice or who follow me are not, I don't know how to put this, like they're not threatened. Their masculinity isn't threatened by coming to me. So you don't feel insecure for taking marathon advice from me because you're like, oh, Alyssa, like she's getting her PhD in exercise physiology and she runs ultra marathons. Like she could help me. She can do this. She specializes in this. But a lot of gen pop dudes aren't following me just because I just don't think that my message and my approach fits them or they're just going to feel more comfortable going to a dude who's doing what they want to do. And that there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, wanting people who've done your own thing. So I do get like every once in a while, I'll get some guys who ask me for fitness advice and guidance, but I just, I just kind of learned really early on that the people being the most receptive to my message, um, were women. And it was really easy for me from a business and marketing standpoint to just lean into that. Cause people have asked me, cause I don't program women really any differently than like I would dudes. Like I'm giving them compound mm-hmm. movements and really simple resistance training programs. And like you're running your, our race training program that I'm going to make for both of us is really going to probably be so we probably, we train very similarly. Yeah, in I was our say, we probably have a really similar training style already. So yeah. So it's not that different. It's just a lot easier for me to get women to buy into what I'm doing unless like, like you just didn't care. You're like, Oh, okay. Like Alyssa's, she specializes in this. Like I'll go to her. And so it was just really easy for you. Like, I feel like you to do it. And it was like a normal adult conversation when we talked about training and coaching where I just don't think a lot of logical. Yeah. It's very logical where I just don't think a lot of guys want to come to me for coaching and training. I've had some dudes do my littlest method programs. And when I first started early on, I had a guy, a couple guys do them and they got really strong and their fitness improved, but, um, it was just way more women. So it just kind of, I took that as a note of like, okay, well, what are the dudes that are following me? And most of them are already, they're pretty much guys pursuing advanced degrees that follow me because they respect my science or like my message or they, you know what I mean? And they're either not coming to me for training, you know what I mean? Besides you, they're not coming to, they're not my, they're not my potential customer. So I just kind of just stopped trying to like rope dudes Mm -hmm. into it. It just kind of became a pivot point for me. Um, so yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's super, super smart business yeah. business decision. You got to make sure you yeah. find your niche. So that's great. Um, we're a little over an hour. I think we're an hour and 15 minutes into this. Oh, okay. I know we could probably talk for 
like another hour, yeah. hour and a half. But maybe for the sake of the listeners, yeah, we should start to table this down because I don't know anyone who could sit there and listen to this for an hour. And I listen to my podcast on my <laughs> one, so those are always yeah, yeah, yeah. longer. <laughs> people, people are not running an hour and a half to two hours out no, here. No, they're not. <laughs> so uh, I think Jason, if you're fine with it, just for one last question. Yeah. And, uh, um, that, do you have it, or I? I kind of want to. The last question, kind of like the the elevator pitch of if someone asks you, "How do you get healthy?" If they run into you in like an elevator in a coffee shop and you have two minutes, what do you tell them? Eat a vegetable and move your body at least three days a week. There okay. you go. Simple. Yeah. Really simple. All right. The minimum. Anything, the minimum. <laughs> and then I just wanted to give you a chance, Alyssa. I know her. If, if you're on Instagram, guys, listen to this. Her ad is Little List Fitness. Um, I'll, it'll all be up on the screen whenever I edit this on YouTube. And then for whoever's listening to this, then we'll, we'll put it in the show notes or, uh, check out the website and it can be on there. And then any, any last thing you want to plug with any projects you're working on? I know you, you have a podcast yourself coming up. What's, it's a secret. So if people hear this, they're going to know. So I am in the process. I'll, I'll, I just, I can, got, I can take that out if you no, want. We can, okay. yeah, we can edit it out. It's totally okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll spill the beans here. And so anyone who listens to this for the full hour Ooh, and 15. This is, this is an exclusive. Yeah, right? this is the exclusive drop. announcement, I guess. Um, so me and my friend Kate, she's also getting her PhD in exercise psychology in the same department with me. We are starting our podcast, The Messy Middle. So it fits in with the conversation that you were talking about. So you want to give more voice to those like the the middle area the gray of fitness and wellness and what that actually looks like and giving more of a voice to the people who kind of fall into that or aren't those on those polarizing extremes and then just our own um narratives on health and fitness and stuff like that so i have no idea when that's coming probably this summer sometime um we still have to like we just are setting forth those uh steps right now so you guys are hearing this Kate, sorry, I spilled the beans. Um, <laughs> but for everything else, my website is littlestfitness.com and you can find absolute everything on there. And I know um, me and Jason talked a little bit about running and I talked about my strength training program. So I have the littlest method, which are progressive, never ending until you end it. The last, I like to call it the last strength program you need because I want women to say, hey, I don't need you anymore. I can do this on my own. That's my goal with those programs. Mm-hmm. And then I have my running ebook, um, Endure, that actually has 5K to marathon distance running programs with the science behind training and adaptation for people who are trying to actually run that first race and maybe want to combine strength and training together um, and don't really know how to do that. So that's usually where I reference people to um, for all. Those are my most popular products of, that I have for training and coaching. So everything else, though, Little List Fitness across the board, everywhere you can find me. So. All right. Thank you very much for being on the podcast, yeah. uh, for sharing your knowledge, your expertise. Okay. And I think we likely might have you on again just because the conversation is fantastic and there's still a lot to discuss, a lot to learn. Always so. more to say. <laughs> Always more time. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank yep. you, Alyssa. Hey, everyone. This is Raghav. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you want more content and to join in on the conversation, find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Prevent Podcast. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time.